Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. We all seem to have our favorite brand name products and services, but what exactly makes us love certain ones and dislike others? Our next guest has researched this, and the findings may surprise you. Let's welcome Chris Malone to InfoTrack. How are you, sir? Very well, Chris. Great to be with you today. You're co-author of The Human Brand, How We Relate to People, Products, and Companies, and you're managing partner of Fidelum Partners, which is a business consulting and services firm. Before we get into the results of your study, could you tell us, Chris, about the scope of your research, about how many consumers and brand names did you look at here? Actually, over a three-year period, we conducted research with over 45 companies and brands with over 6,000 customers from across North America. Well, let's get into it. What did you find as far as why people feel very good about some brands and not so good about others? Well, it turns out that our research and everything that we've found actually suggests that people were the first brands and faces the first logos, and that all the branded traded commerce that we've engaged in over the last several thousand years has been an adaptation of the way that we interact with one another. And it turns out that there is this powerful mode of human social perception that is guiding not only of our interactions with one another, but also all of the purchase behavior and loyalty that we become engaged in. So if I'm starting a company, what type of things should I be doing to make people like me? How do you make a company like a person? Well, as it turns out, we are all programmed and hardwired with all the skills that we need to become very successful as a business. And that all comes down to putting the best interests of other people before our own, initiating relationships, and then really nurturing those relationships over time. And as simple as that sounds and obvious as that sounds, it turns out that much of what is taught in business schools today and much of what is practiced in business today is actually fundamentally at odds with that and causes us to become very distrustful in one another and difficult to conduct business with one another. What do you mean as to what's taught in business schools? For instance, the prevailing wisdom in many businesses now is to maximize shareholder value, particularly in the short term. And what this has caused businesses large and small to do is really focus on squeezing as much out of their business as quickly as possible, growing as quickly as possible, often at the expense of their best interests of their customers and the best interests of their employees. And as a result, the transactions that we engage in have become very, very arm's length, despite that we have more information than ever before and more ways to talk to customers than ever before. Loyalty is actually lower than ever before. Hmm. In terms of a company having a human dimension to it or a face, a company like Amazon doesn't really have a face. So how do you initiate that at a company? Well, it's an excellent question, and I think that there is a company that is in a very similar business. They're actually a subsidiary of Amazon now that is a great example of this. You may have heard of a company called Zappos that started primarily selling shoes online. Sure. And they have done a terrific job of really balancing what is, by definition, a technology e-commerce business with lots of human contact that allows us the opportunity to get a feel for the people on the other end, to know whether they have my best interest in mind, to generate trust and loyalty to them. And so, for instance, they'll have their 800 telephone number on every page of their website, which is really unheard of in e-commerce. And you can get a live person in the first 30 seconds, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And the people on the other end, they're not the customer service department. They're called the customer loyalty department. And they're there to kind of make a connection with you, talk with you as long as you like, 
If you saw a pair of shoes in a movie that you're interested in, they'll go on YouTube with you and find them. And it's that human connection that makes it loyal, trusting, and have developed this fanatical following with really out any national advertising or marketing campaign. We're talking on InfoTrack with Chris Malone, co-author of The Human Brand, How We Relate to People, Products, and Companies. Chris, can this type of feeling be fostered through advertising, or does it need a greater dimension to it? For the most part, I'd say advertising rose up as a substitute for the kind of interaction that we are hardwired to interact with. So if you think about it, for most of human history, commerce between people was conducted face-to-face, and that we are wired and evolved in such a way to pick up all the trust and behavior and body language from one another. Advertising came along when it was no longer possible during the Industrial Revolution for us to have direct contact with the people that made or sold the products to us. And so it became a substitute for that. But in a way, as much as it was efficient and scalable, we lost a lot of that ability to pick up the intentions of people on the other end. I think that we were emerging from what I call the Middle Ages of marketing, where mass advertising and marketing was the only way to communicate. And we're entering into what I call a relationship renaissance, which is much more focused on the one-to-one. And I think that is what's going to be more effective going forward. Is social networking a better way to reach consumers than advertising then? Actually, it is, and I think it's social networking that's really brought about the end of this era that I just described, that mass advertising came about because we couldn't connect with customers on a one-to-one basis. Now social networks make it possible for companies and brands to have direct contact with their consumers again in a way that's scalable, trackable, and efficient. So what we see is leading companies are driving all of their customer interaction, their customer service into social networks where you can deal with a live person on the other end in a way that is efficient and much more compelling and satisfying. We talked about Zappos. Could you tell us about uh, maybe another brand or two that seem to be really doing this well? One of the ones that we really like to talk about as a great example is actually Panera which, as you may know, has become a very large chain of restaurants, again, without the benefit of large advertising or marketing budgets. And what they've really done is forge relationships in their communities, become active members of their communities, and build relationships with people in that market. And one of the stories that we think best exemplifies this actually took place in 2012. And up in Nashville, New Hampshire, a young man named Brandon Cook was visiting his grandmother in the hospital. She was dying of pancreatic cancer, had lost her appetite, but really wanted to make her feel more comfortable. He called up the folks at Panera Bread and asked if he could pick up an order of her favorite clam chowder, which is really the only thing she was willing to eat at that point. Mm-hmm. They said, initially, gosh, we don't make clam chowder except on Friday during the summer, but I'll tell you what, come right over, we'll make it for you right now. Send it over to the hospital. It actually sustained her for another week or two, and Brandon sent a little thank you note on his Facebook page over to the folks at Panera, and within a matter of days, over 800,000 people had liked that post, over 35,000 comments. You know, just a simple gesture of warmth and good intentions for a dying grandmother, and that was a way that really communicated in a much more effective and compelling way than any advertising could, what they stood for and the kind of relationship they have with their customers. Yeah, and if you think about the cost to the company of making a pot of soup, I mean, wow, what a return there, huh? Absolutely. And, you know, if you think about it, this is what would happen before the Industrial Revolutions in small communities, right? If we did right by a customer, if we did wrong by a customer, pretty much everyone in town would know about it by Sunday church, and we'd either get the credit or the blame. Now that's happening again on a global scale, and for the first time our world is wired in a way that we are evolved to interact with one another as humans. The book is The Human Brand, How We Relate to People, Products, and Companies, co-author Chris Malone with Susan Fisk 
And you can learn more at thehumanbrand.com. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today on InfoTrack. Been a pleasure to be with you. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.